God, we just thank you for all of the amazing things that you have given us, um, the continuing gift of the grace um, that comes with the gift of your son who died on the cross for us, and just am in awe of how many times that continues to give back to me every single day. I need your grace. I need your love. So thank you for giving that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Common Ground Church, you may have a seat. Good morning. It is great that you guys are joining us this morning. My name is Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm just thrilled to see you all. So glad that you're all here on a beautiful, sunny last Sunday of March uh, morning. So good to see you all. We just have a few announcements for you to start out. The first of which is another reminder that we have special, custom, common ground mugs. Did you know that? Did you also know that there's like a paper cup shortage that is worldwide and we are having the hardest time buying paper cups and I just have like pain in my spirit when I buy styrofoam. So if you grab a Common Ground mug, you can help us out with that, and you can have your own mug and show that off. They are $15. Uh, a lot of that money is going to pay for, you know, the money that was already spent uh, going down to Mexico for a lot of the supplies that we bought, um, the, you know, $600 of gas that it took to drive down there and those sort of things. And so money is going to a good cause with that. So grab your mug out there in Dark Hall. They're $15. You can pay cash just in the box, or if you just indicate online when you give $15, we're just going to trust you with that, and you can go ahead and take that. So grab your mugs there. Um, another thing that we've been communicating is that we have been building a nursery for a little while, and so it's officially open, and we just really want to continue to communicate that this nursery is intended um, to be a blessing. It's in, intended to be a, a luxury for you, but not a requirement. It's not that, like, babies are no longer allowed in here, and that any time we hear a baby make any sounds, everybody turns and glares at them. That's not the thing, right? You guys are safe. Um, but it's just really our hope um, that that nursery would be a blessing. Um, it would be a place where it might be more comfortable for you if little one is wanting to be a little more expressive or if you just want to be in a quieter place, then that is available for you. And it's just really our hope that it would be a blessing and not a requirement. So just another communication with that. And then there are some things that we're still working on to update and to add to that. And so pay attention to that as it continues to grow and look nicer and nicer. So that nursery is across the way in Dark Hall there. Uh, another thing coming up on April 2nd, which is actually next Saturday, or this Saturday, I guess, um, we're having a worship night here in this space, and we're also going to have a potluck meal. Um, we're still looking for better terminology for the word potluck. Um, that sounds a little less 1980s, but as of now, that's the best term we have. Uh, the term love feast is very biblical, so we've thrown that around, but we've gotten mixed reviews, so we probably won't call it that. Um, and so we just want to communicate. We're going to share a meal together, and we need you guys to be bringing sides, entrees, um, whatever it is that you would love to share with your church body to that event. So come join us. We're going to spend some time here in worship, and then we'll finish up and have a meal together and just spend some time um, fellowshipping with the Lord and fellowshipping with one another. So that's this coming up Saturday, April 2nd, 6 p.m. Join us for that. Also coming up, as you know, is Easter is on its way. Easter is just a few weeks away, and one of the traditions that we've kind of formed around here is we take an Easter morning sunrise hike up M Hill, or Kike, I guess we're doing this week. My bad, I don't know how that slide <laughs> happened that way, the Kike. Um, so 5.30 a.m., we're meeting at the Founders Park parking lot there, pronto, 5.30 a.m., and then we're going to make it up for the sunrise at that time. 
So last year, great showing. We had a fun time up there watching the sunrise, um, reading a bit of a scripture from the resurrection account, um, and then singing a few songs together and just being able to, to welcome in Resurrection Sunday um, at the first peak of light. And so join us for that. It's a great way to wake up um, before we all head over here for Easter breakfast and for celebrating our risen Lord. And so join us 5.30 a.m. on Easter morning for the M Hill hike. Sound like a plan? Nodding? Yes? Okay. Everyone looks like they needed a hike this morning to wake up a little bit, right? Okay. So with that, that's all the announcements I have for you. Hope you wrote it all down. But if you didn't, remember, you can find it all online at the Common Ground website, commongroundcma.org. There's an events and updates tab. There's also a calendar on there that you can look at, and it's going to have all that stuff. So continue to pay attention to that, and you can be filled in on everything happening around this place. So with that, I'm going to invite you back up to your feet, and I'm going to invite you to participate in what we often call awkward social interaction time um, because we recognize that we set aside three minutes, sometimes five minutes. There's a lot of debate on whether or not it should be three or five minutes, if that's too long and too awkward. Um, But I would just encourage you during this time um, to greet one another. Say hi to someone you don't know. Maybe make awkward social interaction time, meaningful social interaction time. Um, Maybe you see someone you haven't seen in a while, or maybe someone you don't even know. And you introduce yourself, you get to know them, You tell them how your bracket has been doing in March Madness. But during this time, I would just really encourage you to take advantage of this, to say hi to one another and to greet one another, that this isn't just a place where we come and we sit down and we're quiet, um, but that we gather as a family. So I'm going to invite you to your feet. Go ahead and participate in that, whether you make it awkward or meaningful.
back to worship. Um, and we're going to start a little different on this song. Uh, we're going to start with the end, uh, just because I think it's a good reminder um, that every day is amazing because uh, Jesus died and because he rose again. So we're going to start with, oh, glorious day. Because that's what today is, because of Jesus. So, you guys will join me.
again of the day that God has provided for us, the day that he has given us, and that day is glorious because it's his. picture of what you did for us. You came to this world and you died for our sins 
you were put into a tomb and you rose again and we're about to celebrate that um, but what's even more amazing is you came back so that we could have such an intimate and personal connection with you in real time right here right now your spirit is with us pray that you open our eyes and our ears to be sensitive to you, to hear you, to see you move right now, right here, because you can do that, because you died, because you came back. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. We are going to be moving into a time of offering. Um, so there should be a slide up there with a link, a phone number, a website. You can also give in person. There is a box in the back um, if you have cash on you now. Um, we are going to be playing a song that we know pretty well here. It's called Spirit Lead Me. Um, and this <laughs> really... Um, spoke to me a lot this week, I think. Um, I spent as much time as I could trying to read my Bible, go through devotionals, uh, pray in the morning, and set time aside. Um, and it was hard, because it always is. And um, I felt that tug inside me every time, every time that I came up with an excuse, every time that I was too tired or my dog needed to be let out, or TikTok was just like really inviting. Um, and there's a little part of me on the inside that, that God's planted since day one that said, no, you're here to spend time with me. Um, and that's the spirit. If anyone did it, no, it's what it does. It tugs at you um, on the inside. So um, I was listening to this song and really felt the chorus really felt the bridge just like whatever you say is what I'll do and I just need you to lead me in that um, so as we're singing that today um, really think about it meditate on it it's a it's a wordy song so if you don't know it don't feel feel like you don't have to sing it um, just listen in, listen to the words listen to that and Feel, feel that spirit inside of you um, respond. So. This is my worship, this is my offering in every moment. I would throw.
Thank you, worship team, for leading us into that time, much needed time. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is our time of the service where um, we get to be together. I mean, really be together, not just sitting in the same room, but um, with one another in prayer and in support uh, of each other. In the book of Philippians, uh, Paul wrote, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or sharing in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others." When we share our times of prayer, those are our interests. You know, those are things that we are burdened by, care about, but we also uh, carry the burdens of others and pray for uh, uh, the rest of our family. So it is so good to be a family here at Common Ground. And so uh, to begin us off, I'm going to have Kyle run around with the mic. I think Kyle was going to, were you going to do that, Kyle? Or, okay. <laughs> I, I just, I guess I appointed him. <laughs> but he's so willing. Thank you, Kyle. He's faster um, than me anyway. As Kyle's going to go around, and uh, if you have something you'd like us to be praying uh, for, praying with you, standing with you, that sort of thing, we want to give you that opportunity. Just ask you to say your name and so we know who we're praying for, and uh, go ahead and share. But uh, I have to, uh, unfortunately, I have to start it off with some pretty sad news. Tim and Mandy Barker's little granddaughter, Tessa, uh, joined Jesus yesterday. Uh, And that's a hard one because there was so much hope uh, for this little gal. But uh, uh, we don't understand all of God's purposes in that, but I'm pretty sure he used her in her short time that she was here and will continue to show himself to us. But uh, if you would, please be in prayer for Tim and Mandy and uh, their daughter and son-in-law during this uh, very, very sorrowful time. Uh, Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that they have a family standing with them through this. All right. uh, Anything else that uh, we should be praying about? Joey. Yeah. Uh, Yes, my name is Joey. Um, And the thing that I would like to pray for today uh, is the Mark drama. which, if you don't know, basically a bunch of students from InterVarsity on the School of Mines campus are doing a 90-minute dramatized version of the Gospel of Mark. Um, So there are quite a few actors in here, and definitely want to be praying for everyone as we go into this. I think even more so, um, I want to lift up two things in particular. First is our uh, friend Eli, who's playing the role of Jesus, Um, just with acting out some of the scenes, especially toward the end with like the crucifixion. Um, it's just very emotionally draining, and he was feeling that a lot when we were rehearsing yesterday. So just pray for him in that, that he would be prepared for that, and that the Lord would uh, be his strength in those moments, because it's really hard to play that role, um, especially as believers. And then also just want to be praying for the people that are coming, especially unbelievers that may not know the Lord, um, that, yeah, God would use the Mark drama in whatever way uh, to show them himself, and that that would be something that perhaps could change their, change their lives. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks, Joey. Uh, so, Logan again. Um, 
couple things. First off, uh, my in-laws pastor is going through a lot of difficulties, especially within the congregation. Um, just a lot of different things going on there. So just prayers for him as he navigates through that and prayers for the congregation as well, that they, they come alongside him with that, everything going on there. Um, on a positive note, um, my dad and his wife had their daughter yesterday on my dad's birthday. Um, Shiloh Arlette, uh, she was Eight pounds, 11 ounces, 20 inches. A couple complications, but overall, everything's good. Mom's fine. So, prayers for that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Logan. So, little Noelle here turns one on Wednesday, her first birthday, which is a big celebration in our house because we didn't think we'd be able to do it. So, yeah, as Caleb said this morning, we kept a human alive for a year. (laughs) Thank you so much for praying for Ukraine. Um, My name is Tatiana. Um, And for my family, they do uh, have a lot of needs. But I just want to, if you like, uh, update for two specific brothers that I wanted to pray, please. Uh, my brother, youngest brother, uh, Alexander or Sasha. Um, his family still in Mariupol and on March 18th, we knew that they're still alive, but they didn't have any much food or water left. Uh, since then, we don't know what's happening. Uh, with them, another uh, still going to like a uh, street fightings on that um, area. Other brother was um, escaped to the nearby village that it's already occupied by Russians, so they uh, at least they're not shootings in there. Pray um, Pasha is a Paul, uh, his name. Uh, he has uh, two kids. Um, they staying in his oldest daughter's fiance parents' house uh, in that village. Uh, so what's happened is uh, yesterday, the um, uh, Russian government decided to cut off uh, all the connection, like um, phone uh, towels in the um, bank accounts and um, internet from Ukraine. So we cannot communicate with them. Um, don't ha- they don't have internet, sign the towels down, so we can even connect, uh, communicate through the messenger. So we just pray that we will uh, they be able to buy at least uh, Russian uh, SIM cards so they can be have communication with us and that also we can help them uh, be able financially help them too. So thank you. Thank you, Tatiana. We appreciate getting that update. Anything else before we take them out and pray together? Hi, my name is Corinne. Um, I ask, I've been asking for prayer for several weeks for my little sister who uh, was baptized into the Mormon church uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Well, first, I just want to thank you for your prayer. Um, It seems like my parents and my sister are on a little bit better terms now. Um, 
So uh, huge praise for that um, because she's still living at home and still very much needs my parents' help. Um, But also, please continue to pray that she would uh, see the truth. All right, we will. Kara, back there. Hi, so um, there's an opportunity that I applied for, and it's working with people more one-on-one, which is kind of more my speed. It's not that I dislike my job, but I feel more fulfilled when I work with more people. So I'm just asking for prayers for God to put me where he wants me. All right, this is Kyle. And then I have one too, um, Kyle. Um, So over spring break, um, me and my girlfriend were hanging out and um, her mom's, or her mom's dog got sick and she wanted Emily to come home right away. Um, And Emily didn't do that and her mom in a fit of rage kicked her out of the house. Um, so she's has a place to live and that stuff, but um, just prayers for her so that she can move forward in a situation where her mom was um, verbally and mentally abusive towards her. Um, and then um, prayers that her and her mom can make up that relationship that her mom won't completely shove her away from her mom. So. All right, thanks for sharing. We will definitely pray for that. Okay, with that family, let's, uh, let's go to the throne of grace together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment, uh, which you have appointed <laughs> and that you have planned. This is not accidental that all of these people that are here right now have gathered together to pray for one another, to stand with one another, to love one another. Lord, uh, as you command us in Scripture to think of others as more important than ourselves, to care for their needs before our own needs, we are first of all mindful that to you, we are the others. Uh, You were the one that left the safety, the security, the comfort of heaven to walk amongst us and to take nails that had our names written on them and to die on a cross that was reserved for each and every one of us and to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could be set free, that we could be forgiven and no longer have to bear the penalty, the pain, the power of sin in our lives. So, Lord, we come to you first and foremost grateful for Jesus, grateful for that mindset that he had. And now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have that same attitude, help us to walk into this very deeply troubled and broken world in a way that um, we are caring for others, we are loving others, we are pouring ourselves out in the same way that you uh, did for us. Lord, your word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, to grieve with those who grieve, and today we do that, Lord. Our hearts are broken. I can tell you this granddad's heart right here. It's really hurting right now for Tim and Mandy. 
Lord, I pray that you will keep Tessa close in your grip and preserve Tim and Mandy and their kids and the rest of their family until that day when you return. And we pray that when that day happens, it'll be a day of joy that will overshadow this day of grief and sorrow. God, we pray that you as the God of all grace would draw so near to Tim and Mandy today that they would find comfort that this world cannot give and peace that only you can give during this time that they're walking through. May they find us as their brothers and sisters in Christ standing by, close by, to do whatever we can to extend a hand to them and help them out in this time. Lord, we pray for the InterVarsity team uh, that will be uh, presenting the Gospel of Mark in a, in a very brief play. And we just ask God, especially for each and every actor there, that God, you would just help them to communicate the Gospel uh, through their actions, through their acting, through their dialogue. And especially for Eli, Lord, is that's a tough role. Uh, that's, that's something none of us can do. But we pray that your spirit would just cause Jesus to be seen in his portrayal. And Lord, for the audience that comes tonight, we pray that their hearts would be opened by your spirit to receive and that you would bless them richly. And we pray, God, that where conviction is needed, that your spirit would make that happen and that repentance would follow. And along with that repentance, there would be the joy of salvation in someone's life. Father, we thank you for the good news that Logan has shared about his dad and his stepmom's new daughter coming into this world, and we pray for your hand to be upon them and continue to bless them. Thank you for all these little babies that we are seeing around us today and that we uh, hear their noise and their gurgles and their yellings and their squeaks and things like that. It's such a good noise in this place, and we are grateful for that. May they grow, each and every one of them, uh, into the knowledge of Christ, and may each and every one of us be a part of helping them to take those steps of growth. Uh, Lord, thank you for Noel as she enters into her first birthday this week. May that just be a very special day for Andy and for Caleb and all the family as they celebrate this, this, little, this little gift that you've given to them. Uh, Father, we pray for Logan's in-law's uh, pastor. Uh, Lord, being in the ministry is tough. It is, it is not an easy job. Uh, and sometimes it's more difficult than it needs to be. So, Lord, where, where there might be misunderstanding or a conflict, we pray that you will bring resolution and harmony. We pray, God, that, um, that this church, along with their pastor together, uh, would strive to have that one mind, to be of one accord and one love, and that there would be the uh, affection and the love and the sharing uh, that comes with the Spirit. So, Lord, would you, would you mend and would you heal uh, in this difficult situation? Lord, we thank you for how you've worked in Corinne's little sister's life to keep her and her parents together, and we pray that you would continue to strengthen that relationship. And Lord, we know that your truth is stronger than anything in this world. And even though we might go astray from it, even though we might wander off, um, we're never beyond your reach. So God, we pray, reach out uh, to Corinne's sister, remind her of who you truly are, and draw her back uh, into yourself. And may she be all the stronger uh, for her knowledge and understanding of who you are as you do that. 
Lord, as Kara has an opportunity to step into a place where she can be employed and um, work with people, we pray, God, that you would lead and that you would help. Her main desire, God, is not to be where she wants, but to be where you want her to be. And, and, and God, we should all make that our prayer. May we today be where you want us to be, doing what you want us to do for the glory of Jesus Christ. So bless Kara in this uh, job search. And Lord, we lift up uh, Emily, uh, Kyle's girlfriend, and uh, we pray, God, first of all, for healing in her mother, uh, whatever it is that's caused her to be hurtful towards her own daughter, that, Lord, you would, that, that, that you would just come and heal the brokenness in, in this mother, and that there would be restoration and reconciliation uh, in their relationship. We pray that you will guide Emily and help her to walk in faith, help her to walk trusting you, help her to be able to uh, be gracious and forgiving to her mom in spite of how her mom treats her. Uh, may she be an example of Christ uh, to her. And God, may you show the world around them what healing looks like in broken relationships. And then, uh, Father, we, we pray for Ukraine. We, we pray for that nation as a whole. Um, we pray, God, that you would preserve them. We pray that you would thwart the designs of the enemy. We pray, God, that you would somehow stop uh, uh, Putin and his designs you know, right in their tracks. And that, God, you would enable these people to continue to overcome. Lord, we pray uh, for cities like Maripol that have turned into uh, just a humanitarian disaster right now with the devastation of war uh, bringing these cities down to rubble. Um, Lord, you kept Israel through their time of captivity in Babylon um, and through the destruction that they faced. We pray that you might keep your people that are in Ukraine as well. Help them to stay strong in their faith, Lord. Um, Help them to keep trusting you. Help them to keep doing the amazing Uh, spiritual warfare that they've been engaging in by caring for one another and meeting the needs of one another and loving one another during an extremely frightening time. And Lord, may they not stand alone. May they know that they have a world of believers with them. And so, God, we pray that somehow um, that your angels and your church would rise up uh, on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray that you would protect the innocent there, the mothers, the children, the elderly, uh, the sick and disabled who are in harm's way. And, God, may you keep your hand upon them all, and especially for Tatiana's family and for those of us who have good friends there. Um, God, watch over our loved ones. And as you do that, would you bring peace to our hearts? Um, Calm the anxieties that we have. Uh, Lord, I don't know how to just stop being anxious for the people that we love, um, but you tell us that we should cast our anxieties upon you. So, So we do that. We say, Lord, carry what we cannot carry because you know, we know that you care for us. Uh, so, Lord, thank you for that uh, that love. Really, that's all we've got. That's really all we've got today, Lord, is to be desperate for you and desperate for your love. So I pray, God, that in this day you would pour it forth because I know that each and every one of us here, we're all carrying something. We're all walking through something together. Lord, we can't do it without your love. So pour it out on us, and as you do, pour it through us. 
into one another for the glory of your kingdom and for the increase of your work here on earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for leading that. Thank you, everyone, for engaging in that time. Um, As always, um, I do want to remind all of you that I know um, how hard it is sometimes to share uh, publicly in front of everyone. And so if there is anything that you would like prayer for, um, but you just can't quite get yourself to to share that publicly, um, feel free to come up to myself or Nick after the service. Um, And typically we would have, you know, Mark, Tim, and Justin here as well. And we would love to pray for you um, in private if there's anything else on your heart um, that's not shared during that time. So please take advantage of that. You can also write it on a piece of paper and put it in the offering box. Um, If there is anything at all left out, um, let us join you in prayer. Now, um, if you're just joining us, you're behind a bit because we are in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Um, We have been in the book of Hebrews for about four months now um, since January. And we're continuing on, uh, marching forward. Um, but just to catch you up to speed a little bit, uh, we've been talking about how the book of Hebrews is really different from a lot of the New Testament letters in the way that it was written and essentially the way that it was presented um, to its original audience. Most of the New Testament books are actually letters written and addressed to a certain people um, for specific purposes, um, but the book of Hebrews was written more like a sermon. Um, it was written more like this message that's to be proclaimed and audibly heard by them, and if you read it out loud, it actually takes about 32 minutes At least that's how long it took me, and that's like the perfect time for a sermon, right? And so this was written more as a sermon from a pastor to a church somewhere in Italy in the first century, and these were people who grew up Jewish and then saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, and they had made the decision to follow Jesus, but yet what they had noticed is that their decision to follow Jesus and their faith in Christ had not actually made their lives any easier. Um, if anything, it had made it more difficult. Um, many of them were being persecuted. They were, they were suffering. They were really struggling with leaving behind some of the old things in their life and just holding to faith in Christ. And so over the last 10 chapters, as we've been going through it, um, we've seen this, this preacher or this author do a lot of pretty heavy theological lifting. Um, really going through systematically who Jesus is in compared to some of um, the Old Testament imagery or some of the things that they wanted to hold to. And so if you remember in some of the first chapters of the book of Hebrews, he talked about how Jesus was better than the prophets, how the revelation of Jesus was so much different than the message that these prophets had spoken, and how Jesus was better than angels, and how Jesus was better than the temple and the sacrifice. And then for about six chapters, we've been talking about Jesus as a better high priest, We've talked all about how Jesus um, fulfilled the work of a high priest and what exactly that means and the role of the temple and that guy Melchizedek that we talked about. And he's been really just explaining the work that Jesus has done here. And he's showing them that though they're, they're wrestling with their faith, though they're, they're tempted maybe to turn back away from Jesus and to abandon him, he's really just trying to answer these questions, trying to close all those escape hatches for them to let them know Just hold on to Jesus. Do not leave Jesus. Do not go back to what you had before. Do not leave Jesus. And he is answering these difficult struggles that they're having um, by just continually reminding them of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what they have in him. And here where we get to in chapter 10, um, he's going to finally finish up this whole topic of Jesus as a better high priest that he's been going through a lot. He really pretty much gives a summary of all that it means, all that Jesus has done in our lives. And then he actually even gives us an application. 
um, for how do we live now, knowing that? What do we do in light of what Jesus has done? And we'll spend more time, actually, in the application next week, but we're just going to kind of get to that this week. Um, Because really, when it comes to chapter 10, um, it's a dense, thick chapter, and I think the climax, the high point, the focus of this whole chapter is that application. It's found kind of right in the middle of the chapter. And so when it comes to splitting this chapter in half, if we were going to take it, you know, first half, second half, it's not as easy as just cutting the line in between. So this week, we're going to kind of cover like this first section and like a middle section and then next week we'll kind of do like another middle and then the end because I think that's kind of how the ideas work best in this chapter and so I first want to just point out this application here that he's giving us that in light of everything Jesus has done for us this is this is how we live this is the implication this is what we are to do in proper response to that and we're going to see that I'm going to kind of spoil the chapter for you see the end and then we're going to work our way back to it and see how we get there See what it is that Jesus has done that has given us this access, that has given us this ability or this application for our lives. And so that application, it's found in verse 19. If you found your way there already in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we're going to start there. And I have the words on the screen here. They barely fit. It's always a beautiful thing when that happens. Um, but this is what I think the focus, the high point of this chapter really is. And it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so this, this instruction, this application is in here, and it is to draw near to God, to draw near to God. And if you've been paying attention or if you've read the book of Hebrews recently, you'll realize that this is something that the author is encouraging, he's instructing constantly. This is one of like five or six different times in which the author of Hebrew has told the audience, draw near to God, come to God, come before God, approach God. Um, There are a few other examples that we have here. He says it in chapter four, let us approach God's throne with confidence. Chapter 7, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through them. Chapter 11, which we'll be in soon, um, he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists here. Pretty, pretty low standard there. Um, but believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And there's this instruction over and over again. Draw near to God. Come before God. Approach the throne of God. And over and over, this is the instruction in the book of Hebrews. This is the challenge. This is what he is calling the people to, that in light of all the really dense, kind of confusing Old Testament teaching, the reality that we live into here is to draw near to God. And over and over, this is repeated. And I think one of the reasons um, that this is repeated so much is, as we've talked about the original audience for the book of Hebrews, these are people who grew up in this first century Jewish, Jewish system where they had a very real, very tangible understanding of their sinfulness and God's holiness and the great gulf, the great division between them and God. They understood very clearly um, that God's holiness and man's sinfulness cannot be combined. 
um, that they're two separate substances, like oil and water cannot mix, cannot be around one another, that if we were to use the language from the prophet Isaiah, if we are dirty rags, as the prophet says, very encouraging, right? Read that in the morning to cheer you up. If we are truly dirty rags because of our sin, well, God is like a bucket of bleach where sin is eliminated in his presence and where for sinful humanity, not safe to be in. And they had a very real understanding of this. They had this deep understanding that they were sinful, that they were not worthy of being in God's presence. And they knew that they had this temple system, this high priest system, this intense um, system of sacrifices and things that needed to be done in order to make someone clean, in order to make someone holy, in order to make it safe to be in God's presence. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to see is that now through Jesus, that's been fulfilled. Now through Jesus, we've been made holy, that he was the sacrifice, that he, he was the temple. He is the high priest who's done this perfect job. And he's trying to encourage them that there actually isn't anything keeping you from God's presence, that your, your sin is actually not doing that anymore. And I think this is a relevant message for us as well when it comes to our need to draw near to God, to enter into his presence, to seek him honestly. I think a lot of the times that we don't, that we shrink back and we don't pursue God um, to the level that, that we have access to, I think this message for us is going to be important to hear as well. Um, that it isn't anything that we've done that is keeping us from his presence. That actually because of Jesus, as we're going to see in this chapter, because of Jesus, there really is nothing standing in the way between us and God's presence. And that's going to be kind of the big idea that we're going to look at, is that there is nothing standing between you and a deeper experience of God's presence. That Jesus, as we talked about a few weeks ago when Nick taught, the veil has been torn, Jesus made a way, Jesus has made us clean, Jesus has opened up God's presence for us, and we are invited to enter in. However, as the author of Hebrews is going to teach, kind of leading up to this, um, there's a lot of understanding about who Jesus is and what he's done um, that we kind of need to grasp and that I think can help us um, to overcome those feelings that maybe we're not good enough, maybe we're too sinful to be in his presence. And so he's going to work his way up to that, work his way up to that call to draw near. And so that's where we're going to be in verse 1 there. Um, we're going to see how he gets us there. Um, we're going to see how it is that Jesus has made a way for us to be in God's presence and what it is that he's done um, to make that even possible for us. And so we're going to go backwards a little bit. We already read 19. Again, spoiled it. That's the high point. Now, how do we get there? If that's what we're going for, how do we get there? How do we know for certain that we have this access? So verse 1, if you're there, we're going to look at this. Um, this deep instruction that he's giving them not to turn back to the law, hold to faith in Christ, recognize that what he has done is enough. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, words are on the screen for you as well. The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered. Or would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So he's pointing out here, hey, remember how you guys still, still feel guilty? Wouldn't they have stopped it? But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. 
It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he's pointing out the, the purpose was never to do what you're saying it was going to do anyway. But actually, this whole system was to point to Jesus anyway. That was the whole plan from the beginning. That was always the point. And then he goes on. He says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. But then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. He's attributing that to Jesus here. And first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. But then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. And so he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now read verse 10 again, because this is going to be something we're going to have to come back to. By that will, we, so anyone who believes in Jesus here, have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And we'll stop there for a second. So he's really laying this foundation, and he just summed up like dozens of chapters of the Old Testament and probably like six chapters of the book of Hebrews right here. He just summarized it all to explain how Jesus and the work that he's done has made us holy. That the, the dirt, the mess, the sin, um, that these people had a very real understanding should have been preventing them from being in God's presence had been wiped away, had been cleaned. That really, once and for all, they had been made holy. That they had been declared righteous. That they had been given this access to God. And it's in this chapter that we find really some of the key passages on the whole doctrine of sanctification, right? Probably some of your favorite topics. Smiles, not a bit. No, not at all. Okay, well, thumbs up from Luke. Luke's li- Luke likes the doctrine of sanctification. Thank you. Now we'll watch the Mark drama because we'll trust you. So when it, when it comes to this doctrine of sanctification, what's being talked about here is this idea of us being made holy, being given this this status, this position of holiness before God. That your status before God is not actually as a sinner if you have faith in Christ, but it is actually as someone who's holy, who is set apart for worship of him, able to be in his presence. And in verse 10 there, um, the verb where it says that God made you holy, um, it's in the perfect tense, which means that it's something that took place in the past, continuing on now into the present, and actually will continue on into the future. It's this permanent state. It is the reality of where we are at, that Jesus has made us pure and holy, clean, without blemish. And if you have put your faith in him, like past, present, future, you're clean. That sin that you feel like should prevent you from being in God's presence actually has been declared gone. But now there is this uninhibited access to the presence of God that is given to you. And oftentimes we think, well, you know, God's presence, um, if you've read the Bible, he, you know, he appears to the special kinds of people, to the prophets, to the priests, um, maybe to people who 
spend, you know, four hours in the spiritual practices every day. Or like maybe, you know, it was me years ago when I spent a lot more time in prayer or in reading my Bible. Or, you know, you know the people that you think those are the kind of people who are holy enough for God to actually appear to. And what it's saying here in verse 10, okay, if God appears to the holy people, well, faith in Jesus means you are that kind of person. You are one of those people who God appears to, who God allows in his presence, that he has given you this status, this access here. And so even though as we move about, we're going to get into this, that obviously it feels like our, our holiness fluctuates, right? That at times we feel very holy, at times we don't. It feels like we're dancing in the shadows as he talked about the law being just a shadow of the things to come, that we, we seek things that are not God, but just pointing to God. And we turn those to idols. But what he's saying here is that regardless of all that, of all the mistakes that you've made, of all the sins, of all the things that you've turned to instead, your status here is still holy. Your ability to be in God's presence is uninterrupted. That there isn't actually anything keeping you from his presence. You've been made holy and you can enter his presence. And then he continues on, verse 11. It's going to continue on to explain really how this has happened. Because for the original audience, this was a hard thing to comprehend. But he says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This priest being Jesus, right? And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds their sins and their lawless acts. I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So again, he's using this language of the high priest, of how Jesus did this work. And he explained how the high priest was working a lot, right? They were very, very busy. Um, we discussed it a few weeks ago, just all the requirements that a high priest has to do, right? They didn't just work one day a week like I do. But they had to do all this different work of trimming fat, of filling candles and lights, of trimming all these wicks, of preparing all these sacrifices. They had like this table of showbread that they had to constantly be working on. Like it was a busy job. They had a lot to do. And when you're working, you're typically standing, right? Like that's kind of the understanding in our culture. Like if you're sitting down on the job, you're being lazy. Um, or recently sitting is like kind of the newest, like, I guess, public health crisis. Like everyone has moved to standing desks. Now actually they have treadmill desks, which I think would be really awesome. You just like sprinting and typing. That would be sweet. Um, but, you know, like, sitting is up there with smoking. Like, if you sit for 40 hours a week, say goodbye to your family. Like, there's no hope for you. But here, it says, what is Jesus doing? Is he standing? Is he very busy? Is he doing a lot of work? No, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. And the reason he's sitting is because he's not at work, right? Work is done. There's nothing left to do. Jesus finished all the work. Now we can sit. And the work of the high priest was to do what? It was to 
purify the people. It was to make atonement, make coverings for sins, um, make sacrifices for some of the sins that the people had made. Jesus did that, and then he sat down. He's like, all right, job done. Typically, they would have to do it year after year, day after day, like he said. But Jesus finished it, right? If the problem of sin, the problem that would prevent us from being in God's presence, is completely done away with to the point that Jesus has no more work left to do. He just sits. That he has offered this gift of grace to us, we accept it through faith, and the work to be made clean is done. Over. Sitting. Jesus is off the clock here. He's made you clean. And so again, he's showing there's nothing that stands between you and the presence of God. There's no work that you have to do. There's no sacrifice that needs to be made. There's nothing left, but Jesus has done everything. Nothing left but our own choice to turn to him. And so now we can expect when we turn to God in prayer, um, it's not just screaming out into the void, um, but that when we turn to God in prayer, that he actually turns his ear to us, that, that God could actually also speak to us in prayer, that prayer can be a conversation. We can listen. We can hear from him. Um, that when we worship, we're not just singing songs like we're at a regular concert, but many of us have felt that and experienced that, that there's something different about singing out to God because there is a tangible sense of God's presence. And when we turn to the Bible, it's not just like a regular book that we read, but the Holy Spirit is guiding us and teaching us, and we have an encounter with the presence of God, and these words become living and active because there isn't anything dividing us between God. And so when we draw near, we actually have that access to his presence. And that's the instruction here. It's just a reminder. Hey, this is what you already have. There's nothing keeping you from drawing near to God, from being in his presence, except your own choice, that this is available to you. And he's having to remind them of this over and over again. And I have to be reminded of this over and over again because it is something that I think we take for granted. Or I think when the sin weighs on us, it's something that it just seems too good to be true. There's no way that I could enter this, that I could enter God's presence. But yet here, he's saying over and over all that Jesus has done in order to make this possible, that we can draw near to God. And it's James, Jesus' brother, um, who wrote that if you draw near to God, he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Just another reminder. There's nothing left to do for you to clean yourself up, for you to make right with God in order to be in his presence. Jesus did that, sitting down, done. All that's left is for you to draw near, to draw near to him, because you've been made holy, you've been made clean. Now, this brings up the question, of course, does that mean, okay, so if we're positionally sanctified, cleaned, holy, we don't have any more sin, or we don't sin anymore? Is that what it means? Mm, Probably not, right? We're getting some very quick head shake no's, right? Doesn't mean that. So if you look at verse 14 again, this is going to kind of explain that because we have experienced, okay, we might be considered clean. We might be considered holy, but I don't really think of very holy. And I've seen the holiness standard and I definitely don't match up to that. So what exactly does that mean? Verse 14 says that by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. And so this is the thing with our holiness, with our sanctification, with our being made righteous is that in one sense, 
we're considered righteous, we're made righteous. Positionally, we have that status. And so legally, that's like, okay, that's our official status. Um, we've been giving that position. And when God looks at your sin record, he doesn't see your sin record. He sees Jesus' sin record. It looks pretty good. It's pretty clean. It's actually fully clean. But you're still being made holy, right? Still being separated from your sin. Still in the process of being made like Jesus. And this is what it's explaining here, that we're still in this process. And so even though we have that position, we have that status, we definitely still feel kind of the, the grit, the gunk, the, the mess of sin in our lives, and we still see it in our lives, don't we? Right? We still recognize that we have sin in our lives. It's still there. And this is really um, how this is broken down and an explanation of how exactly this works. So positionally, at salvation, you're sanctified holy. You're saved from the penalty of sin. So no sin counted against you here. Does that mean you will never sin again? No. Wish that were true. Sorry to burst your bubble in your innocence. Um, But you're still in this process, the process of progressive sanctification, of being made holy that it talks about in verse 14 here. Um, The process where we're saved from the practice and the power of sin, but it's, it's a process. You're not there yet. If you think you're there, that's probably evidence that you're not there, right? And it's this process of being, being separated from it. And we live in this tension um, where we're made holy, but yet we're in the process of being made holy. And we're in the process of needing to be made holy, needing to be separated from this sin. It doesn't keep us from God's presence, but it is still here in our lives. And one of the best um, examples or one of the best pictures that I think we have of this whole idea, this tension we feel we're, we're made holy, but we're still being made holy, is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. Um, if you remember the story, Jesus was gathered with the disciples. They were celebrating the Passover. And in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up from the table, wraps a towel around his waist, takes a bucket or a wash basin, and he begins washing their feet. In John chapter 13, verse 6, it picks up what happens next. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, he's going to change his tone real fast, "Uh, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, wash all of me. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that everyone was not clean. He's inserting that little bit about Judas. Um, But this is actually a pretty good picture, because what we're going to see, or what we did see there, is these two different words for washing, or these two different ideas of cleanliness here. And in verses 5 through 6, 8, 12, and 14, um, the word wash, that it's translated in our English, is this Greek word nipto here. And that is really just meaning to wash, to rinse. Um, You nipto your hands, um, you nipto your feet, you wash your rinse, you clean something. It's spot cleaning, so to speak. And this is what Jesus was saying he was going to do for their feet, was the spot cleaning. And then there's this other word that Jesus just uses in verse 10 there. This, the Greek word luo. And this means to bathe, to cleanse, to fully wash, to purify. And Jesus here says, 
that those of you who have had a bath, right, who have been luoed, completely washed, only need to wash your feet, to nipto your feet. Because what he's pointing out here is that when you have committed your life to Christ, you've been bathed, you've been washed, you've been purified. It's that positional sanctification. You've been made holy. And so basically like the BO is gone. You're, you're clean enough to be in my presence. I'm not going to send you away. But yet just because like you've bathed in the morning doesn't mean you shouldn't wash your hands before lunch, right? Like there's still going to be some dirt and some gunk. And for these guys who are walking around in the Middle East with probably like chocos on, as they walk through the world, they're still going to get some buildup of dirt, of gunk, of this mess that is on their feet. And in a very real sense, our faith in Christ has, has bathed us, washed us, purified us, cleansed us from sin, positioned we have that purity. But yet, we're still connected to this dirty planet, right? We're still going to feel the tangible effects and see sin in our lives, the, the, the yuck that gets stuck to our feet. And we still experience that. And there are times when, when it's going to cause us to feel unworthy and like we need to respond like Peter, if no, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. I cannot be in your presence. Like, look at them. They're filthy. But yet, Jesus wasn't stopped by that, right? He's saying, let me do this for you. Like, you have been bathed, so I don't need to wash your head again. Like, you don't need to recommit your life to me again. I know you're good, but let me just wash your feet. Let me take this feeling of gunk and dirt off of you, this real tangible sin from you. And it's this, this feeling of sin, these, these old ways that, that often just we feel like we need to be freed and washed up. And it's not something that would keep us from the presence of God, um, but it's an invitation that God has for us. And it's, the solution to that is actually that very application that we talked about. It's drawing near to God. It's being in his spirit in his presence. Just as we sang the song earlier and went to remind us um, just of the call to, to be in step with the Spirit, um, it's actually when we are in God's presence, that's when the work of purifying us, of, of the washing takes place. Um, it's when we turn to him in repentance. It's when we confess to one another, when we bring sins to light. It doesn't change our ability to be in God's presence, but it removes that dirt and gunk um, that builds up over time. It removes that feeling of sin that can bring us down and can prevent us from thinking that we have this access to God. And it's something that Jesus offers, something that Jesus offers so that they can come before him. And for the original audience here, this was something that they probably needed to hear, especially they needed to hear this idea that, hey, you have been made holy. You're recognizing that you're not perfect that you've got your issues. But there's nothing that's keeping you from God's presence. And especially for these people where, as we've seen through the last chapters, they were so tempted to go back to a system in which they could control things, right? Faith can be sort of hard to hang on to because it's, it's faith. You're not in control. You're not doing all these practices. You can't see the temple and make sure that you're right with God. It's trusting that what Jesus has done is enough. And so the, the preacher here, he's consistently reminding them of this. Just hold to this. Just draw near to God. Trust that what Jesus has done is enough. Trust that what Jesus has done is enough. And obviously, 
as we've gotten into a lot of these verses, um, there must have been people from their community um, who didn't hang out, who walked away from their faith, who abandoned Jesus. And so you see times in the book of Hebrews when all of a sudden it's like he flips a switch and he kind of gets in our face a little bit and kind of like shakes us up. He doesn't pull any punches. He really challenges those original audience on basically what they're considering. And we have another one of those in chapter 10. We're going to skip that little section and move to verse 26 because I think it really connects well with what we're talking about in the beginning section. And as we get into the section, it's verse 26 through verse 31. What we see here is the author doing just that. He's kind of getting in our face a little bit. He's kind of shaking us up. It's this intense warning about walking away from Jesus. And this section, um, before we get into it, just a little bit of context. This has been called by some as some of the most misused verses in all the New Testament or some of the most misunderstood because, as you'll see, if you were to just take this right off the page and, like, write this in a card and give it to someone, you could do some harm with that. (laughs) Um, But we're going to read it, and then we're going to be able to clarify and understand it um, through the context here. So verse 26, this is the strong warning. Um, people are tempted to turn away. They don't feel clean. It doesn't feel like their faith is working. It doesn't feel like what Jesus has done is enough. And the author addresses that. doesn't leave any room for that. This strong challenge in verse 26. He says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What a good start, right? Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pretty intense, right? Pretty uh, hard warning. You could probably see how if you just pluck that out of this passage and just gave that to someone in an isolated sense, you could beat someone up pretty well, right? Or like if we just focused only on this um, without anything left, I mean, it looks like um, you could tell someone, hey, if you go on sinning, um, there's no sacrifice with you. Jesus is just done with you. You're toast, right? That's sort of what it looks like. And so if we were to just look at this in isolation and we'd consider, okay, um, who has received, you know, grace and mercy, full knowledge of the truth? Anyone in this room? Um, Basically, it's asking, have you believed in Jesus? Anyone show of hands? Okay, some of you have. Okay. Uh, How many of you have sinned willfully? Uh, Some of you. Okay, most sinners. Can't believe it. God is angry with you. There is no sacrifice. And you could see how this could really be used to just beat you up. This could really be used um, to just bring the fire and brimstone, to make it just black and white. Um, If I just pulled this out of context, I could do that. But obviously there's the problem with pulling it out of context of maybe if we had forgotten the whole first half of the chapter, this would look pretty pretty bad. Um, But now that we've read the first half of the chapter, we can see it kind of makes a little more sense, right? Um, this whole language of sacrifice, this language of Jesus's of sacrifice being enough, and we have that. But this this has been used in a lot of ways, um, 
and it is confusing, and we're actually going to have to turn to another place to explain this a little bit. Um, but there was actually a time in church history in the 3rd and the 4th century um, when it was because of this passage um, that many Christians would wait as long as they possibly could to be baptized um, because it was taught that any sins after baptism were not forgiven, right? And just imagine how stressful of a life that would be. Um, I would be really stressful, stressed out if I was a priest at that time. I'd probably just carry like a bucket of water with me everywhere because if I saw you like choking at dinner, I could just baptize you right then and there and just make sure. Like you never know. Like you have to get as close to death as possible is their view. But I think there is deep misunderstanding about that. And so we're going to clarify this passage a bit. And we can clarify it by remembering, okay, these people, they knew their Old Testament very, very well, right? They had it memorized just like all of us do. And so when they hear this language of the sacrificial system, they know where to go, right? You guys know where to go. Where would you go? If we're talking about the sacrificial system, where in the Old Testament is that introduced? Where in the Old Testament is that created? Christina helped you out here. It's in Numbers 15. Good job, guys. See, you do have the Old Testament memorized. Okay, so Numbers 15. This is where the entire system of sacrifice was instituted. This is where it was created. So... If we're talking about sacrifice of sins, we should probably look at Numbers 15. What kind of stuff does it talk about? Um, if you read the whole chapter, there's a lot of discussion about unintentional sins, right? There's like 613 commands, and if you didn't oopsie and you accidentally broke 337, you didn't know it, okay, all you do is you perform the sacrifice, you give this thing, and then it's fixed. It, it has atoned, it has covered for your sins. And then once you get down to verse 30, it's going to have some similar language to this sinning deliberately that the author of Hebrews is referring to. Verse 30 says that anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. Because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands, they must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. And what we get out of this, so this word defiantly, is probably a better translation than deliberately here. Deliberately is just like intentional, conscious. Defiantly, and especially in the Hebrew language here, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, was very image-based, very descriptive. Um, it could literally be translated as with a raised fist. It's defiant. It's rebellious. Doing some, or I guess, doing something because God told you not to, essentially. Hey, don't do this. Well, I'm going to do it because you told me to. It's this intentional defiance. It's someone who doesn't want forgiveness, doesn't want a sacrifice for sin in this case, right? It's someone who says, I'm going to do what I want to do, um, whether God says so or not. And in fact, if he says not to, that's actually the reason I'm going to do it. It's this defiant, rebellious, fist raised, raging against God. This is describing someone who's making no attempts to follow God, but is actively opposed to following God. Someone who does not want forgiveness or the sacrifice. And if Jesus is the means to forgiveness, and you do not want Jesus or you do not want forgiveness, what other option is there? There isn't one, right? And that's what he's doing here. He's talking about someone who doesn't want the only way to be saved, doesn't want this only sacrifice, that if you reject the sacrifice of Jesus, 
There is no other sacrifice left for you. There's no other option. The blood of bulls and goats only ever covered it. We talked about that. Jesus is the one who saves. And if you're going to raise your fist against Jesus and reject him, there is no other option. And we talked about it before. A very similar thing was brought up in chapter 2 um, where the image that he used um, was this idea of drifting and someone who wanted to do it on their own. And it's this idea that, okay, if you're in the boat in the ocean and you don't like the boat or the, you feel seasick on the boat, uh, the better option is not to jump ship because um, then you're swimming on your own and there's no other rescue plan. And so this is really what he's speaking about here. Um, it's not just anyone who's intentional um, about sin because then we all stop and look at our own life and we realize, wait, like almost all of my sins are intentional. Very few are accidents or subconscious must be toast, right? Well, no, because he's talking about a very specific kind of this intentional, this rebellious, this hand raised against God's sin. Because if you look through the other places where there are other sacrifices for sin, like in Leviticus, which I know is one of your guys' other favorite books, um, in Leviticus 6, where it's describing all the different sacrifices that you do, there's a whole list of things that you do for intentional sins. Deliberate sins, oh yeah, plenty of sacrifices for those things. But it's this defiant rejection of Jesus that is talking about here. And so that's that's what is being talked about here. Um, the author is not saying that if you sin too many times and you're aware of it, Jesus is done with you, you're cut off, there's nothing you can do. Oh, actually, God's presence is now taken from you. That's not what he's saying here. He's not addressing just the process of following Jesus and failing along the way. Um, because that's actually not even an option. He's not addressing that. He's addressing um, this rejection of Jesus, this very specific trampling of the Son of God underfoot, right? That here's your way to be saved is Jesus. No thanks. I'm going to move on, trample over that. It's this insulting of the Spirit of grace, as he said. Okay, so if grace is the very thing that God is offering, and we say, no thanks, I don't want grace, well, that's, he's kind of saying, okay, you're missing the point, this is your only option. And so it's not just someone who has been seeking God and sinning along the way here. That's not what it's saying. It's saying someone who's deliberately rejected the grace given doesn't think Jesus is good enough. That's what it's speaking about here. And so many people have been very worried about this passage. And I would just encourage you that if you have faith in Christ, that this is not a passage to worry about. Obviously, this isn't licensed to sin. And we know that, okay, well, like, even though we still sin, it's not that we should. We know that. I'm not worried about you guys. I don't feel like I have to correct that too much. But what we do see is this is used, or this um, can just bring up a sense of guilt and shame in us often. And what we have to recognize is it's coming from that place of, hey, we still have that sin. We're still being made clean. We're still being washed. We still periodically um, need our feet washed by Jesus. We're not made perfect. But there isn't anything that is preventing us from God's presence. And actually, what we need in the cases where we do feel unworthy to be in God's presence is just that very thing, to draw near to God. We recognize that we're going to fail as we're following him. The sins are going to happen. And it's in those moments where we recognize that, we feel remorse, we, we repent, we turn to God, 
apologize to God, turn to the people that we've hurt, and apologize and repent and turn towards Jesus in that sense. And when we're doing that, that is drawing near to the presence of God. And so this passage, that's what it's about. This passage, this warning, it has harsh language, and we can't sugarcoat that. It does have harsh language if you reject Jesus. But in this case, the call is to accept the spirit of grace, to recognize our sin, turn to him, and for that, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. And we honestly didn't have to go to like Numbers and Leviticus to figure that out. Um, We could have just looked at the near context, but I just know how much you guys love Leviticus and Numbers, and so that's my little treat to you. Um, But we could have just looked at the beginning of the chapter, right? Verse 10. What did verse 10 say? By that will, we, we, anyone who believes in Jesus, have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. Pretty simple meaning there. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy, right? Remember, considered holy, made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. But those who aren't there yet, they're still in this process. They're still in this process of having the sin removed, of having this power of sin over our lives removed. But there is still sin in our lives, and we recognize that. And then in verse 18, And where these have been forgiven, he says there, their lawless acts I will remember no more. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So if you've been forgiven by Jesus, if you've been made holy, if you've put your faith in him, that's it, right? Jesus is sitting. Remember, the work is done. There is now nothing standing between you and a deeper experience of the presence of God. God's presence is open to you that all that's left is to draw near to him. That's all that is left. And we actually have a really great way of doing that today, a tangible um, way for us to draw near to God. As we've already sang and praised God, um, we're going to do that in a minute, and then we're also going to come before the communion table here. Um, This table that represents the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And it was on that night um, when Jesus explained that this bread is a representation of his body, torn and broken for us. And I wish that we had um, the big loaf. I should have brought one because I think just the image of of the bread being torn um, is such a good reminder of of the veil that was torn, of Jesus' body being broken for you, of giving you that access, opening up the presence of God. And in these little cups of juice, it's, it's supposed to be wine to represent his blood that has made you clean. As we read this chapter, it talks a lot about like being sprinkled and cleansed with blood. And that might not be like the most encouraging, um, best picture in your heart and mind. It probably doesn't just make you feel like really great. But that's the way that we've been cleansed from sin. And that's the picture here that we have. And the Apostle Paul said that whenever we eat of this bread, we drink of this cup, that we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Um, that we're proclaiming we're giving this message and remembering that Jesus died, that he was the sacrifice. That we weren't holy, we weren't the kind of people who could be in God's presence, but because of Jesus, we are. The veil has been torn, access has been given, that we can approach the very throne of God and to be in his presence. So that's what we're going to do. I mean, this time, I'll go ahead and invite the worship team up. Um, we're going to have one song in the meantime. And it's during that song um, that you can come forward 
and take the little cup and then return to your seat because we are going to do this together in a minute. Um, but this is an invitation um, from Jesus um, to draw near to God. This isn't just um, a useless ritual that we do every month, but this is an opportunity in which we can enter into the presence of God. Um, that we don't just sing songs because it's fun and we like music, um, but that God's Spirit is here. He's with us. That we actually have this access. There's nothing standing between us and the presence of God. And so I'm just going to invite you into this time. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. And so, Father God, um, we just thank you. And we just thank you for opening up this access to us. And God, though this seems like something that that we've heard many times before, um, we just thank you for the beautiful reminder that it is. We need this reminder over and over again that we have full access to you. And at times in our lives when it, when it seems so difficult and you seem so far away, um, like the presence that we had felt at different times in our life was just a thing of the past and we will never experience you again. God, we just thank you for the reminder that that is untrue. I just pray over Kamagran Church right now. God, would you just continue um, to release them um, from the, the lies of the enemy that would just heap on the guilt and the shame to tell them that they are not worthy of being in God's presence. Um, I just ask that you would continue um, to remove from them this feeling that they are not good enough. But would they, as they consider these things, um, would they just continue to see you? Um, would you help me not to see myself in the sin that I'm in, but help me to see Jesus? Because God, that is our desire today, is to worship you, to worship your son and the sacrifice that he's given. And so we just thank you. We thank you for the access that we have. We thank you for being present in this room with us. Um, we recognize that, that we just need to be made more aware, that we have this opportunity. Um, so would you motivate us? Um, would you speak to us? Um, we commit to being a people who draw near to you and into your presence. And so God, um, would you just receive this worship as a sweet sound in your ear from us? So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
first verse again, just thinking about where we are right now, because we are in the presence of the Lord, and that is amazing. Let's sing again. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. on the night of the Last Supper that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said that this bread represents my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat this together. And it was on that same night um, that he took a glass of wine and he says, this wine represents my blood poured out for your sins. As you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So let's do this together. So Jesus, we just focus our hearts and minds on you at this moment. And your body broken for us. And your blood shed for us. And our response is the desire to want to draw near to you to sing to you in worship. Jesus, we just come before you with a posture of thankfulness, a posture of praise. So we just sing these words out to you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
As you go this week, know that there is nothing that stands between you and God's presence. Would you draw near to him this week? And as you go, um, would you go with the words of Hebrews chapter 10 one more time? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. His presence is available to you this week. Draw near. So Common Ground Church, thanks for being here. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful week.